Hi, my name is Colleen Getty, and I'm here with Sally Chetwin today, and we're going to be talking about writing in the journey of a story. And so today we're going to talk about how Sally writes and what her process is and what some of her books are that she's working on. So welcome, Sally. Thank you. Uh, why don't we start with sort of just the basic question of how do you write, where do you write, what's, what's your process in terms of the tangible writing process? Contrived. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I have, as you know, I have one published book, and that was 20 years in the making. Not because it takes 20 years to write a book, but because I kept putting it down and picking it up five years later and taking two months to go, where was I in this? And uh, the one I started to, uh, you know, moved around a few times too when I came back to this area. Um, a friend of mine who writes, uh, I started meeting again with him, and uh, finally after we'd met, 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 he says, you're going to get that book published. And he had this publishing contract that he'd signed. It was a two-for-one deal, which was great. He says, my book is going to be one of those, and yours is going to be the other. So otherwise, you're never going to finish it. So, and he was right. <laughs> So, I mean, and that's a good point that you have with yep. the writing is a pretty solitary yeah. uh, project, so it really helps when you have somebody else to partner up with or to motivate you. So yeah. did you find that you, your writing started picking up once you sort of found a partner to motivate you? Definitely, yeah. And just being able to exchange ideas or go through concepts or noodle around ideas about how am I going to end this thing? Mm -hmm. So I'd come up with an idea, and some of my other friends would come up with ideas, and he came up with an idea, and all of a sudden I kind of pulled those together and went, ooh, there's the ending. So did you meet with him on a regular schedule? or Usually once a month okay. we got together. Yeah, he lived over in Winchester. He's since moved out to the West Coast, oh. and I miss him a lot. But, yeah. uh, so do you still do it? Online, do you motivate no, each other? No, he's, he's retired, very much retired, and uh, I don't think he has online access anymore. He's mm. 93 or something. Wow. Yeah, World War II <laughs> veteran. So when you, for instance, the uh, Beat of Sand, when you started that idea in its infancy, uh, what would you say sort of sparked the first thought of, hey, I'm going to start writing this down? Well, that takes place at an old Sturbridge Village-like locale. And we have, uh, my husband and I have a good friend that works at one of these places in the middle of New Jersey. And we were kind of enchanted by the place. And with, between that and the Civil War reenacting, because we'd have some events there, I said, yeah, there's got to be a story here. Just something started sparking with me. So I started writing scenes, and they were all kind of disjointed until I started really focusing on, let's put this thing together and see what order these things would go in and what, what more do I need to know to fill this out to build the story arc. So that's and so what part of, because you, you are a Civil War reenactor, yeah. uh, and a lot of writing is sort of almost reenacting yeah. a scene in your mind. So yeah. did you feel like that was really helpful when you yeah. sort of already go through the process physically? Yeah, yeah, I think it helped quite a bit. And does that help with the dialogue and, and that sort of thing, or I mostly so. just the action? I think so. Because um, this is a contemporary story, okay. but um, it's going to be very helpful having done living history for that period of time 
in the next project that I tackle when I get number two book finished, which is going to be a historical novel set during the Civil War. Okay. So it really, doing that kind of research and living that kind of lifestyle really helps uh, eliminate anachronisms, uh, phrases that you would not hear for another hundred years or something like that. Okay. So it's going to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, so for instance, with your first project, uh, you know, have you written all your life? Is this something that just sort of came out of the blue? Or why don't you talk about even just you as a writer and what is your process and what has writing been throughout your life? What, what role does it serve? Well, I started out as soon as I could hold a pencil. And I immediately began to plagiarize all of my favorite horse stories. <laughs> <laughs> and I was quite prodigious. I wrote two or three hundred pages all handwritten on, on loose leaf paper. I've still got some of those up in the attic. Wow. They're dreadful. <laughs> but it was pretty ambitious. And I've always been interested in words. My, my mother writes. She's, uh, she's been a journalist for years and years and years. And uh, I learned an awful lot from her. And I learned an awful lot on just basics of English grammar from these dirt poor nuns at a little parochial school in Maine growing up. And uh, I, every day I see, if the, see how that foundation has really supported me all these years. Nice. Yeah. Um, so, and I, I liked your uh, funny but <laughs> interesting comment about plagiarizing all those horror stories. Horse, Did you say horror stories? Horror, horror, story? oh, horror stories. Horror stories. Um, <laughs> because part, I mean, plagiarism you don't want to do eventually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but as a child, you, I mean, that kind of points to the reading that you need to do yeah. in order to sort of develop as a writer. Do you want to talk a little bit about, you know, how maybe did reading lead to writing? Did writing lead to reading? Or has it always just been sort of uh, those two things have helped you grow as a writer? I think both, probably the reading first. And then because I was so fascinated with all the stuff that I read, our house was full of all kinds of books, um, lots of children's books. And then my parents just, well, we, we love books. <laughs> We've got more than we know what to do with. My mother keeps cleaning them out. She says, I, I got to find a home for this book. She says, I don't need it anymore. But uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not something we're going to throw away. That would be sacrilegious. So yeah, there was an awful lot of, of in tandem stuff. And uh, the, the historical reenacting has led to, you know, I was terrible in history in school. <laughs> So then I get out of high school, and what do I do? I fall right into the bicentennial. It's like, this is history. This is cool. Yeah. So uh, I, uh, I really um, got into reading, uh, doing a lot of reading of historical materials and uh, period journals, first-person journals, fascinating stuff. Sometimes it's mundane, you know, daily, daily things, but you get a real picture of what life was like then and how somebody felt. Mm -hmm. And uh, that really gets you into the scene, and into the mood, into the character. And that can feed your own characters an awful lot. And now, do you keep a journal? Have you always kept a journal? Or? I used to keep a journal pretty regularly, but I really haven't found the time to do that so much lately. But I find that what, I, what I'm doing is when I send an email to somebody, that's a journal. Mm -hmm. Because I'll go into a detail 
and I'll just embellish it. And it'll be four, five, six paragraphs. And, and then I've written this book that I've sent to them. It's like, they're <laughs> going to wear out their eyes reading it. I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> um, I mean, and that's a great point, too, because even when you're talking about history, email is what letter writing was. Yeah. And that's where we get a lot of our history is through people's letters. Yeah. So when you're researching <clears throat> your novels, do you look to first person um, like letters and journals and things like that specifically? Yeah, to a degree, if they're available, um, if it's uh, about a particular subject. Um, mm -hmm. Right now I'm, I'm reading a book, which is, it's not a journal, but it's written by a fellow who was a cadet at the you know, U.S. Naval Academy during the Civil War, and he didn't stay in the Navy. He did his, his tour of duty as a midshipman and then went on and did other things. But he wrote this history, and it's very factual because it talks about from the very beginning of the idea of uh, an academy for the Navy, because there was West Point, but there was nothing for the Navy, and they finally established it in 1845. And so this stuff's all fascinating, and, and you see this working together and how the government was saying, no, we don't want to spend that kind of money, and then other people say, well, if you want this kind of quality of officer on board your ship, somebody that's intelligent enough to carry messages between ships and so, so on and so forth, you're going to have to have a school. These people need to be educated. And so it's that sort of thing. And then in, interspersed with songs that were written about certain political things that were going on at any given time at the school and mm. pranks that the cadets would, <laughs> would pull. Yeah, so there's, there's bits of humor and, and humanity right. in, this, in this book. Huh. Um, and so, um, so I, I know, but the viewers don't know, that writing is not your day job. Nope. <laughs> uh, and so I wonder, is writing a good excuse to learn about history for you in some senses? Or is, uh, or is it the other way around? Does history give you a good uh, reason to write? I mean, I know that your book, uh, The Surgeon's Dance, which you're writing right now, yep. or you've written and you're editing, uh, is not necessarily historical yeah, there's, in Yeah, there's no particular history um, in there. So clearly the writing is your main component. But do you want to talk about sort of the editing process for you? I mean, you, you told us you sort of write over a period of time, but um, has it... Have you, are you writing more now than you used to? Yeah. And how do you go? What's the process? Do you still write longhand? Do you write on your laptop? Or what do you like? What is the painstakingly <laughs> detailed process of how how something goes from idea to book for you? Yeah. Usually, I'll start out with an idea, and, and if I'm at the computer, I'll try to you know type something into a file and save it under noodling ideas or something. <laughs> uh, but a lot of times, if I've got some stream of consciousness thing going on, I just get the scrap paper out and the, and the clipboard and I just start writing and writing and writing and it's total garbage, most of it's garbage and I'll go on you know, for maybe an hour just writing it and I'll end up with a dozen pages of just the stuff and I don't try to edit it and then I look at it after and, I, and then I can, oh yeah, that's good, this is garbage, but ooh yeah, what's that? Mm -hmm. And so you, you, you sift out the gems. Okay, and then once you sift those out, do you sort of isolate those in a, on a sheet and start writing around it, or? Well, usually those will will become scenes. I'll I'll have a scene in in mind, and uh, as I work it and as I think it, and I might work and write another scene and go, oh yeah, these guys, this scene over here and that scene, yeah, I got to make a connection between those two. Okay. 
And then, because I've only got the one book published and the second book, so it isn't like I've written lots and lots of books. But I found that uh, when I was completing Bead of Sand, I was probably 70% through it. And I developed a spreadsheet in which I put the chapters and the, the basics of what this scene is, so the scene one, scene two, whatever. So I had this chronology, and I started plugging in these little notes. And then in the, another column, I was like, I need, to know, I need to do this. And just or like red text. This is stuff I haven't written yet that I, I'll need to fill in here somehow. Or even a note that says, something missing here. Mm-hmm. And maybe six months down the road, I'll go, oh, yeah, that can go in there. Okay. And then I start to build that. Right. Uh, and so in what part do um, partnerships like the fellow you had for the first book and uh, you're in our critique group and uh, any other critique groups or beta readers? I know you, I've heard you mention before. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about how you take people's feedback, how you get people's feedback, and what do you do with that once you get it and how long over what kind of process? Yeah. So when I, th- when I think the manuscript is basically complete. It doesn't have to be entirely complete, but when it's, it's a complete storyline, mm-hmm. um, then I can print it out and I collected, for a bead of sand, I collected about a dozen people that friends of mine, uh, other writers, and non-writers, because non-writers are important to me. They're readers. And who's going to be reading your book? There's going to be more non-writers mm-hmm. than writers reading your book. So I get in touch with them, I say, I've got this project, and I'd like if you would read it. Can you, or are you willing to? And I say, take a month to read it, uh, and then make your comments, give them back to me however you want to. And of the dozen, I think I probably had a little more than a dozen, a dozen said yes, and about eight sent back marked up copies with their comments. And probably 85% of the comments are stuff that I needed to incorporate. And my policy is if more than one person flags something, mm-hmm. whether they identify it specifically the way a writer would or more generally the way a reader would, it's like, OK, whether I agree with what they're analyzing it as or not, I do agree that it needs attention. Mm. I've got to work that. I've okay. got to fix that. And so where do you find these readers that you, this group of people, is it the same group all the time? or have you um, There were a few them? overlaps on the first book and the second book. Okay. So, uh, and there were some new ones. So, Are these friends? Are these yeah, people that um, do this for like a, like a Mostly just a hobby? friends. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, fellow writers. Yeah, there's, uh, there's one woman that uh, I met through the New England Authors Expo. And she's got two or three books out. And uh, I asked her if she'd critique my book, you know, be a beta reader. Mm-hmm. And she said, yeah. She said, would you be willing to be a beta reader for me when I'm ready? And I said, of course. So, uh, you know, we exchange, right. exchange professional comment and stuff like that, right. which is, is really valuable. And so at what point do you say, OK, this is ready to print uh, since you and in, in, in I'm sort of trying to get also towards yeah. uh, and you can fit it in however it works but uh, how do you decide because you're a self-published author 
that this is ready to be published and not go through another round of editing or critiquing? Mm. Uh, and also, what is the process uh, in terms of how did you find your uh, printing press and what's that process? Because I think a lot of people are interested in if they did want to do a self-publishing. Yeah. Well, certainly a lot Root. of options out there. But as far as knowing when your story is done, mm -hmm. you have to tell yourself, I can't work on it forever. And you're going to get to a point where it's like, I'm going to ruin it if I keep on fiddling around with it. So I think, for me anyway, I think it's kind of an organic thing. Mm -hmm. you, you get to a certain, like just, just recently, in the last week or so, I realized the Sturgeon's Dance is done. Mm -hmm. I've got proofreading to do. But... I think the editing is done, and the beta readers have had their go at it, and I've, I've sent parts of it to some of them back and gotten feedback for scenes that I hadn't completed. And mm -hmm. I just get this feeling, yeah, it's done now. I think I've tied all the little knots together. Okay. And, uh, I mean, I could fart around with it for the rest of my life, but <laughs> it's not going to do the story any good. Right. And I think the characters start telling me, you know, you got to move on, you know. Right. We we can take it from here now. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so, what's the next step? So then, then uh, actually, now I I currently have a contract with the same publishing firm that okay. I got uh, th through my friend Paul, and because I like the quality of the book, mm -hmm. it's 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 clean. It doesn't curl. It's not sticky. There's somebody somebody's putting books out. Maybe there's more than one, and the covers are gummy. Yeah. It's like, ew. You, know, you, you read it, and you set it down, and overnight it gets this dust stuck on it, and you actually have to take a damp cloth and wipe it off. Hmm. It's like, I don't like a book cover that's sticky. Right. Yeah, and so, you don't know who that is, do you? <laughs> I don't know who it is. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I know, I know what the, and most of these self-publishing firms are, I don't know, Create Space and Book Baby and, and who knows who else. They don't always have their brand on the, on the cover of the book. So it's hard to tell who okay. published it. And, and you know, just because somebody like Book Baby or Create Space was the publisher, that doesn't mean that they're also the printer of hard copies. Okay. Because most of these publishing firms, they, they contract out to a printer that they trust. So you just happen to know a guy who knew the right printer, or uh, do you know any of the background of how he found those people? Yeah, he was, he was checking online, looking for somebody that he could self-publish through, and uh, he happened across iUniverse, which is out of Blooming, Bloomingdale, Illinois, mm -hmm. and uh, it looked like a pretty good deal, and he called them up, and they had this two-for-one deal, and I think it was half price besides, so we got our books published, the both of us, for like $800, which is ridiculous. <laughs> So, and how many copies do you get with um, that? The package included a couple of rounds of editing, and you can buy more services if you want mm -hmm. uh, or can afford. And I think it included uh, 20 copies, and uh, they're just so easy to work with. Mm -hmm. And then if you want more copies, you just order them from them, and they have their printer sent. And I did that about a year, year ago. I can't remember now if it was a year ago or two years ago. I'd run out of copies, so I ordered another 100. Okay. And they're on my doorstep in about four days. I was rather astonished. So if somebody wants to be able to just print out their, you know, with no specific, I mean, what was your goal when you were wanting to print it? Just to be able to see 
your work in writing, or do, did you want to try to sell it, or what was sort of your pie in the sky? <laughs> well, you know, I want to be rich and famous. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, well, Paul was really the driving force, and because he said, you know, if you don't go with this package, it's never going to get done, and it got done, and it wouldn't be in print today if it wasn't for him, because I didn't have any money. I was unemployed at the time, and, mm -hmm. you know, it's been finances being what they are, and there's a lot of people in the same boat. Right. So uh, a couple of years ago when I was working a job that uh, was fairly lucrative, um, this, I was looking for another, uh, you know, to get, get number, book number two mm -hmm. ready so that when I'm ready, the publisher's ready. And okay. uh, so I went back to iUniverse. I looked at their packages online, and it's like, oh, they've got a discount thing going on right now. And uh, so I says, it's pretty good stuff. And I was happy with, the pro with working with them before. Mm -hmm. Very personable people and very responsive. You know, you send them an email and you hear back the same day or maybe the next day, okay. the latest. So I was impressed. So I got in touch with them. I was talking with this, one of the sales agents and he says, oh, he says, you're a returning author. You get another discount. Oh. Saves me hundreds <laughs> of dollars. Right. So. And so have you approached like the library or any bookstores to try to carry it, or do you just try to sell it on your own or on your but, website, or how yeah. does that work? Unfortunately, I don't have a website yet. That's something okay. that I'm drastically in dire need of. Okay. So one of these days I'll get that launched, but, uh, yeah, I'm just trying to write the book. Right. But, um, yeah, I've always, I always get copies so that I have them to hand out to friends or to sell when I go mm -hmm. to a book fair. Um, people can order the books through Amazon. Uh, oh, they're they on Amazon. Yeah. Um, I don't think there there aren't print copies on books no uh, Barnes and Noble, but uh, they, it is available as an ebook through okay. Barnes and Noble. And so does iUniverse do all that for you, or how does that work? Yeah, I think they must do it all. Um, actually, I haven't gotten any royalties because it's under Paul's name. <laughs> and so any royalties from Smart sales account. directly from iUniverse or f through Amazon via iUniverse, they go to Paul. I have no problem with that. <laughs> Paul deserves all of my royalties. So do you have any idea how much that is from do publishing your own? Like what would you get for a royalty? I have no idea. You don't even know. <laughs> because one of the things we always talk about is uh, sort of what is the goal for your writing and... Uh, a reoccurring theme is that it's unless you're Stephen King or somebody you're not yeah. making a living off of writing no. <laughs> uh, so it's but it's also there is there's a reason why people are right and or do whatever kind of art they do and yeah. so what would you say is your main reason for writing because the stories tell me that they have to be written like this short story I gave you a copy of that mm -hmm. uh, a couple of weeks ago when we met this story, it would not leave me alone. It was downright impolite. <laughs> I, had done the, the, I had done three Fourth of July parades, and I was just plain tired. And we had family over for cookout and stuff after the parades were done. And uh, my husband, you know, doing Abraham Lincoln, he, uh, he's sitting around the table after we'd eaten about 9 o'clock at night, and uh, he's telling his sisters who were there about, stories about Lincoln. And uh, so I'm, I'm in the pantry just, you know, a few feet away, and I'm washing some dishes, and I'm just 
punchy enough and tired enough when he's talking about an incident about Lincoln after he was dead and they reopened up the, the casket before they buried him permanently and there were these little bits of, of red and white and blue fabric on his chest. So at some point during Lincoln's journey from Washington back to Springfield to be buried and they opened the casket for viewings in 20 different places, somebody probably put a little flag in the casket and the flag had disintegrated. And so I'm just punchy enough and I go, wow, what a story those little bits of flag could tell. So I go to bed and I'm, you know, I'm tired, so I'm, I fall right asleep. About an hour and a half later, wake up, wake up, you have to write a story down. <laughs> so I write a couple of ideas down, I go back to sleep 20 minutes later. Hey, you. You're not done yet. This went on all night. I was wow. even more exhausted in the morning. But I had the and bones then you done. It out. I had the bones done. And then I spent two days filling out the details. Everything in that short story is actual fact. Wow. Yeah. So you, did you look up the history or you yep. already knew it? Yeah. Wow. Well, we have all these books. Right. Yeah, phenomenal. We have a pretty good library. So for a short story like that, now uh, you did a beautiful job of publishing it yourself in that cover I love, uh, and I did read it. <laughs> Do you, have you tried to send it to magazines or journals or have it published in any other way? Or? I did send it to, uh, it was a contest on Lincoln stuff at a certain magazine. Um, they were running some sort of a contest for uh, Lincoln's Bicentennial, yeah, bicentennial, so 2009. And I didn't win, okay. but I figured, hey, you know, I can just print it out. Right. I can hand it to people. I can sell it for five bucks, whatever. And, and so for your other books, now this, was it Paul, was the main motivator to actually get it published. Yeah. Uh, did you ever think about um, or want to send it out, or have you ever sent it out, even just to traditional editors and agencies or publishing companies to see if anybody was, would be interested or do you just do you just decided from the get-go it was going to be self-published? Well um, since it is published I haven't bothered to push it with a traditional publisher um, I just don't have the kind of time to wait for them to decide yay or nay or whatever right. I suppose that's something that could be done but okay. I'll have to wait until I and retire you didn't think or something. Of it for your next book or anything? No I just, just I, I knew that I didn't want to take the time to you know, go through 40 or 50 rejections and spend 10 years trying to get it in front of an agent mm -hmm. who would then, you know, even if it gets accepted, it's like three years, two or three years before it would go from acceptance to hitting the, the bookstores. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and even if you go with the traditional publishing, these days the author has to do more promotion than ever. So it's pretty much the same. If you self-publish, you have this promotion to do. Right. If you're traditionally published, you have this promotion to do. <laughs> so as a self-published author, how do you promote it, and what do you do? I talk to friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have not been good. I, I don't have any marketing skills. I could probably learn some, but I probably have to wait until I'm retired to do that. <laughs> well, and you've talked about the Authors Expo. You've gone yeah, to that. And, yeah. uh, do you want to talk a little bit about yeah, what that's that a, is? That's and a great forum. Do you think that's form. a good place for authors to yeah. go? Well, the fellow that put it together, um, Chris Aubert, he and his wife, uh, he's a small, uh, a small publisher in Haverhill, uh, in Bradford, Massachusetts. 
uh, Pear Tree Publishing, and he'd try to go to these, you know, these super big book fairs where Simon and Schuster are exhibiting, and and Alfred A. Knopf, and you know, all of these big big name publishers, and with the big name authors to go with them, and they'd want at a minimum $400 for a booth, and probably a whole lot more than that for something like that. And he might sell three books. Hmm. So it was a loss every time, a loss, a loss. He says, I can't afford to do that. I'm an ordinary Joe that's trying to feed his family. Mm -hmm. So he said, there's got to be a better way. So he, uh, he said, let's put together a forum. We'll get together with these other authors that I know, the people that have, have worked with me, and, and I know other publishers. So he started the New England Authors Expo. And so for the cost of, well, some, it depends on, it, it's pretty much at cost. He'll rent like the ballroom over at the Yacht Club in Dandrisport. And he'll charge at cost to me to mm -hmm. come in. The tables are there, the tablecloths are there. There's two chairs there, and you come in for 50 or $60 for the day. Okay. And you might not make that back, but you haven't lost a whole lot either. Right. And the networking is phenomenal, and you meet a lot of people, and, and if you can't afford to buy everybody else's books, you swap. <laughs> I've, I've made a lot of friends that way, and I've, I've read some amazing books. Okay. Yeah. And so that might, the major thing might be the networking at yeah. those things as well. Yeah. And so what do you, is there an opportunity to network formally, or is it just sort of up to you to go around and meet people? Um, pretty much you just walk around, especially in the, uh, the early hours. It'll be closed to the public. So say something like that, it's, uh, it's an all-day thing. You get there about 9, it opens, quote, at 10. And so authors and illustrators and publicists, they can arrive all day and set up. Mm -hmm. So you've got all of that time until 4 in the afternoon when the doors open to the public. And hopefully they come in, and they are adoring a public, and they buy all your stuff. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And so do you usually get to talk to a lot of customers, yeah. or are they sort of just walking around really quickly? Um, it depends they on the customer. They already know what they want. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, they, a lot of them will be looking for genres, but okay. a lot of them will stop by, and, and uh, they say, well, what's this about? Okay. And I usually have two or three other people's books on my table that, you know, other people that have published that uh, aren't there, friends right. of mine. And now could you bring something like, say, your short story? I mean, do people yeah. come with informal uh, writing, or is it all pretty much formal books that have been published either traditionally or self-published? It's whatever mixed. I can put that on there. Some people have CDs of their work or DVDs or, or you know, flash drives. Some people even have flash drives with, with you know, or e-books. Uh, oh. you, can, you can set up to get your e-book downloaded Whatever. I don't know okay. how all that electronic stuff works. All right. But, uh, um, so you've done a good job of sort of showing us all the way from when you get an idea, how you sort of transform it into actual writing, and then how you finish that off. What would you just sort of to wrap up any particular advice or any, uh, anything about the writing process that you can kind of impart that you think you learned along the way or that you think is important for young writers or people that are trying to start um, yeah. doing some writing? Yeah, um, definitely revise. First, write. Nobody can write your story. And if you have the ambition to spend years putting out a book 
there's, there's a gem in there somewhere that deserves to be polished. There's a story that wants to be told. And I kind of get this feeling that there are these characters and story ideas floating in the ether sphere. And they're going, hmm, that person is going to write my story. And that's why you get hammered by these people. <laughs> and they will not, they'll not let you alone. But um, definitely just start to write. It doesn't have to be perfect. Mm -hmm. I mean, all of my noodling, 99% of it gets thrown out. But you learn a lot in the noodling. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it's that direct brain pencil connection that it's a little less direct when you're going into the computer. Okay. It's, uh, I, I find it a little more distant mm -hmm. going to the keypad and then onto the screen. Right. So just that noodling, the stream of consciousness, get it out there. Because if you don't get it out there, you've got nothing to work with. Mm -hmm. And then I find that as I'm working with it, that'll generate more ideas. And sometimes characters will just arrive, and I have no idea where they've come from or who they are. It's like, oh, you're kind of cool. Right. So yeah, in, in uh, okay. the Sturgeon's Dance, this Native American Maliseet Indian pops into the story. He picks up my character hitchhiking. And, <laughs> and he's, it's a very small part, but it really it, it uh, creates a, one of the links. It, it uh, strengthens the link that I was trying to create. Okay. So he's, he's kind of important. He's yeah. a really cool guy. <laughs> And so one of those is yeah. just sort of giving yourself over to the story. Yeah, you've got to open it up. Letting and things you, happen. And you have to respect the characters. Because if you try to make them do stuff that's not in character, they won't talk to you. Right. And it's really cool when they get to take over. <laughs> it's like, I think so it was, much easier, huh? Yeah. I think it was William <laughs> Faulkner said something about, oh, he says something, something to the effect of, I'm just a scribe. The characters are doing what they do, and I just run along behind and take notes. Hmm. I like that idea. Yeah, yeah, I really like that idea too. And then revision. You know, it's just so tempting. You, you've written this thing, send it right out. Hmm. No, let it sit in the drawer for six months or 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> and then you haul it out and you go, oh, there's a lot of this is garbage, but ooh, this stuff is good. Yeah, I can work with this stuff. Yeah. Definitely edit, revise, send it to people. Give it to beta readers, your friends, your family, people, as long as they know that you want constructive criticism mm -hmm. and take their advice. Because if they've picked out something that goes, eh, it just doesn't quite ring right, mm -hmm. they're probably right. Well, thank you, Sally, for joining us thank today you. and uh, at the, the Room to Write for A Journey of a Story. And if any authors would like to join us as well, in the author seat, please contact me at colleen at theroomtowrite.com, and I'd love to have you. Thanks, Sally. Thank you.